بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم ما بعد وعن عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنهما ان عمر رضي الله عنه حين تايمت بنته حفصه قال لقيت عثمان بن عفان رضي الله عنه فاردت عليه حفصه فقلت ان شئت انكحتك حفصه بنت عمر قال سانظر في امري فلبثت ليالي ثم لقيني فقال قد بدا لي ان لا اتزوج يومي هذا فلقيت ابا بكر الصديق رضي الله عنه فقلت ان شئت انكحتك حفصه بنت عمر فصمت ابو بكر رضي الله عنه فلم يرجع الي شيئا فكنت عليه اوجد مني على عثمان فلبثت ليالي ثم خطبها النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فانكحتها اياه فلقيني ابو بكر فقال لعلك وجدت علي حين اردت علي حفصه فلم ارجع اليك شيئا فقلت نعم قال فانه لم يمنعني ان ارجع اليك فيما اردت علي الا اني كنت علمت ان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ذكرها فلم اكن لافشي سر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ولو تركها النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لقبلتها رواه البخاري continue with the chapter which deals with guarding the secret someone confides in you someone has to entrust you with a private matter in shariat to honor that and to protect that secret is something that is of grave importance unfortunately nowadays in our practice revealing private information about others that we should not be revealing if we have become privy to it this has become common in this chapter we learn the importance of us honoring the secret and protecting that which has been entrusted to us this is in fact an amanat it's also beneficial for us to with a open and a clear mind listen to such incidents that are mentioned in ahadith because this will give us a clear insight into the day to day life in Madina Munawwara in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the sahaba ikram ridwanullah alaihim ajma'in there are many things today that we regard to be part of deen but in reality they have absolutely nothing to do to do with deen and sharia it's things that are more what we call rasam and riwaj rituals customs some things that society and its practices have had an influence upon us and on the basis of that we regard that to be shariat and deen whereas it is not actually shariat and deen so it's important for us to clear our minds with regards to these things by listening to such incidents pondering over it and by getting this type of insight into the day to day life in madina munawwara this will go a long way towards us developing these qualities abdullah bin umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma the son of umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu famous sahabi he narrates an incident with regards to his father he says that on one occasion he says at the time when hafsa that is his sister and the daughter of sayyidina umar hafsa radiyallahu ta'ala anha as we know is one of the ummahatul mu'minin 
one of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the wives of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Quran, Allah ta'ala says, وَأَزْوَاجُهُ أُمَّهَاتُ لَهُمْ That the wives of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are the mothers of the believers. So these are women whom, whose status Allah ta'ala has elevated. And to honor them and have sincere love and respect for them in our hearts, this is part of shariat and deen. Nevertheless, he says when Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha, the daughter of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu became a widow. She was previously married to Khunayth bin Huzafa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, a sahabi who passed away in Medina Munawwara due to a wound that was sustained in Uhud. After he passed away, Obviously, this would mean or refer to after Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha had sat in Iddat and the Iddat had been completed. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu one day meets Usman bin Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This is around the time that Ruqayya, the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who was in the nikah of Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, passed away. We find that Usman radiallahu ta'ala is that sahabi that has this sharaf and honor that he is referred to as Dhun-Nurain. Dhun-Nurain, in other words, the owner of the two lights. The reason he was given this laqab and title was that Allah's Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam first gave him his daughter Umm Kulsum radiallahu ta'ala anha in his nikah. Umm Kulsum radiallahu ta'ala anha, when she passed away, then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave him Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, another daughter in the nikah of Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And we find there are riwayat when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that if I had many, many daughters, one after the other, I would have given them to Sayyidina Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So that is a sufficient testimony of the akhlaq and character of Sayyidina Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Nevertheless, he had just lost his wife. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu meets him and says to him, فَعَرَدْتُ عَلَيْهِ Hafsa." He offered him the hand of Hafsa in marriage. To this, Sayyidina Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu responded, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said to him, In shi'ta, if you wish, I will marry Hafsa bint Umar, the daughter of Umar to you. So Usman radiallahu ta'ala said, let me think about it, let me deliberate about it. So a few days passed. Then again, Umar radiallahu ta'ala met him. Usman radiallahu ta'ala gave an excuse and he said that, I have decided that at this point in time, I would prefer not to get married. Not, not to get married to Hafsa, but just not to get married at all. In the commentary of this hadith, the words Usman radiallahu ta'ala used, قَدْ بَدَالِي أَنْ أَلَّا In other words, during these days, in this period, in other words, I prefer for a short while to free myself from any marriage. Perhaps Usman radiallahu ta'ala was grieving over the loss of Ruqayya radiallahu whatever it may have been. He felt that he was not ready to get married just immediately. 
Like I said in the commentary of the hadith, the fact that he used the word yawmi hada during these days, from this is eradicated this concept or this idea that I'm never going to get married again. No. Because many ulama of the opinion that sharia does not advocate that. That you choose a life where you are completely on your own. And we find that today in society also, especially when it's an elderly person, his wife passes away, society frowns upon such a person taking another partner. Whereas in Shariat, in Islam, in Deen, we learn that this is something not just good, but it is something that is encouraged. Part of the protection of our chastity, part of the protection of our Deen is in this, to have a partner, to get married, etc. Nevertheless, the incident goes on. Umar ta'ala says that thereafter I met Abu Bakr Siddiq ta'ala anhu. And I said to him that if you desire, I will give you the hand of Hafsa, the daughter of Umar, in your marriage. Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu remained silent in the face of this offer. He did not... Umar who narrates this incident says he did not respond to me in any way. So Umar because of his close association and the love and understanding that existed between him and Sayyidina Abu Bakr he says I was more upset with Abu Bakr than I was with Usman. Umar was close to both of them, Abu Bakr and Umar. Closer Abu Bakr and Usman but he was closer to Abu Bakr and he says that he became upset in his heart he was hurt that Abu Bakr had on the one hand not just not accepted the proposal but didn't give any reason didn't say why just kept silent whereas Usman deliberated and said that you know what during these days I feel that I should not take a partner, etc. So Umar, Umar who goes on, he narrates the incident, فَلَبِثْتُ Layali, A few days passed. Then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam proposed for my daughter. So I got her married to Nabi Apaq sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Thereafter, Abu Bakr who met me and said to me that Perhaps you were upset with me, angry with me, when you offered Hafsa in marriage to me, and I did not respond in any way. Umar said, yes, I was upset. You and I, what we were, even if we were upset, we'll tell a person, no, we were not upset. But Sahaba, they were an open book. They would not hide their feelings and emotions. They didn't have any underlying motivations. So he revealed in my heart, yes, I was hurt, I was upset. Part of the akhlaq and character we see that even though he was upset, he didn't say anything to Abu Bakr, he kept silent. Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu, realizing that Umar was upset, he didn't just leave the wound to fester, but he went up to him to clear the air and to patch up. And from this we learn this is also something that is very important. If you are close to someone, you did something, even though you may be innocent, but you did something that could have upset that individual, make amends, go up to him, clear the air, don't leave the matter festering. Because the matter festers, 
One small thing can lead to many, many big problems later on. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu says to Umar that perhaps you became upset and angry with me when you offered me the hand of Hafsa and I did not respond to you in any way. So Umar said yes. Then Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu gave an explanation. He said nothing stopped. The only reason I did not respond to you when you offered the hand of Hafsa to me was that I knew that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had mentioned her. In other words, what this means is that possibly Nabi Pak sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had confided in Abu Bakr his intention to offer, to ask Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu for the hand of Hafsa radiallahu anha in marriage. So he had confided what was a secret. This is why Imam Nawawi rahimahullah has mentioned this particular incident under this chapter, Hifzul Sir, protection of the secret. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala said, that I detested or I dislike that I should open up the secret of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is why I kept silent. I did not mention anything to you. However, if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had not asked you for her hand in marriage, then I would have accepted the offer that you made to me. This was the type of love and understanding that existed Particularly between Sahaba Kiram and particularly between Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. As I mentioned in the introduction of this incident in the beginning, that there are many things that unfortunately today have become customs and rituals which we regard to be part of Shariat and Deen. For example, one is when a woman has to become a widow. There are many amongst us that have this idea or this mindset that she must remain a widow for the rest of her life. She must never get married again. Or if she has to become what we call mutallaqa, if she has to get a divorce, that goes completely against the grain of shariat. Shariat advocates that in society, those who are free, who don't have partners, should get married. If someone has to become a widow, look for another partner for her. She should not be left alone, etc. Secondly, Many of us have this idea that it, it, is, a, it is against, it, it carries some sort of stigma. If I have to offer my daughter to somebody, or I have to offer my sister to somebody, we must wait for the proposal to come. Don't go ahead and look for somebody that is suitable. This again is a rewaj, a custom, it's not part of shariat. Here we see actively Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala looking around and in fact offering his daughter to Abu Bakr, to Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. In the Quran, Allah ta'ala mentions one incident of where Nabi Shu'ayb alayhi salam, inni uridu an unkihaka ihdabnatayya hatayni ala anta ajurani thamaniya hijaj. Shu'ayb alayhi salam offered his daughters to Musa alayhi salam in marriage. So there is, this is not against some sort of social, this doesn't carry a social stigma or something that we should be looking down upon or feel that it is shameful in any way. There is nothing shameful in the guardian or a father offering her daughter or sister to suitable partners. Shall I continue?